We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Irish-blooded. We'll have a better year one. Oh, who will have a better year one? Fickle at Wisconsin or Matt Rule at Nebraska? That is a good question. Well, I mean, people are I'm saying going that Luke Wisconsin's going to yeah. win their division. Yeah, I don't know. But I also know a couple people that think Nebraska is going to have this really big bounce back year because they have talent. They just coached poorly. And Ryan, Ryan and I talked a little bit about that yesterday. We're going to okay. find out if the problem the last couple of years at Nebraska was Nebraska or Scott Frost. Ryan and I tend to think it's Scott Frost. Okay. My issue is I'm just not ready to jump on the Jeff Sims bandwagon yet. The quarterback from Georgia Tech that transferred there. Okay. But that. there's a couple things that factor into this for me, Vince. And, and part of it is schedule. You know, okay. part of it is, you know, you could argue that Nebraska is not making as big of a transition as Wisconsin. When you look at the fact that they're going from their 21 personnel power football to the air raid, you know, what's that going to look like? Could they drop a couple games early? You know, could, could, could Wisconsin struggle to make those changes lose in September at Washington state at Purdue maybe drop a game at Illinois, but then upset Ohio State at home and finish really strong? Yeah, sure. And then they end up maybe don't have as good of a record as Nebraska, but they're clearly the better team by the end of the year. That's possible. You know, but then you look at Nebraska and you say, well, their season starts off pretty rough too at Minnesota, at Colorado, the first two games. They get Michigan at home, at Illinois, at Michigan State, at Wisconsin, home against Iowa. So, I mean, there's all these different ways you can go about it. End of the day, I just think Wisconsin has the better roster right now. It's so so if they can make a, a smooth enough transition, I think Wisconsin should have the better team, but it may not be by the advantage of some people think. And I'll just say this: I won't be shocked if Nebraska ends up with a similar record to Wisconsin this year. Okay, but they have to learn how to win. Sure, Nebraska, Wisconsin just has to learn how to play in the new system. Right, they don't have to learn how to win. They're, they're a good football program. They inherited Paul Chris got fired because he had a bad last year. And he wasn't living up to the standard that had been set there. But that's a little, that's a different animal than what Matt Rule's walking into. Oh, no, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, but Matt Rule has to change like a culture. I mean, Matt Rule has to change everything from the ground up. Absolutely. I mean, Wisconsin's had a bad year last year at seven and six. Right. That was, that was their standards higher. I mean, the standard of Wisconsin right now is higher than it is at Nebraska. Right. I mean, this is a guy that went ten and four, four and three because COVID, nine and four, and then they went seven and six, and he got fired. Right? Who's uh, not that far away? Twenty sixteen and twenty seventeen from going eleven and three, finishing ninth overall, and thirteen and one, and finishing seventh overall. Right. It's been exactly. a long time since Nebraska's had that kind of football team. Exactly. So Luke Fickle walks into a good situation. It's just you're making a big. I'll say this: if Wisconsin was had hired someone that was going to run an offense similar to like David Shaw or what Wisconsin had done, I would this would be an easy pick for me. It'd be Wisconsin because the piece is already there. You've got a great running back and all that. The the only reason this is a discussion for me, Vince, is because that's a 
that is a big schematic philosophical change sure. going from what they were doing on offense, which is a pro style smash mouth football team to Phil Longo's air raid. That is a big change. For let me, me ask you this. Let me, let me twist the question a little bit. Okay. Long-term, who do you have more faith in? I would, as long as Luke fickle doesn't leave for Ohio state, I'd say Wisconsin okay. for a couple reasons. Matt rule has to prove to me that he's not going to leave in three years. Matt rule has not, doesn't exactly have a, a history of like being content. Sure. You know, with, with the jobs that he's had. And so, you know, I, and anytime you have a coach that hasn't really proven that he's willing to stay somewhere, it, you know, he was at Temple for four years, Baylor at three, so the Panthers for three, got fired. Now he's at Nebraska. Is he, is he just one of those guys that just is always looking for a new challenge? He gets bored easily. I don't know. I don't know yeah, the answer to that. Could be. So it's hard for me to say that. Whereas if Luke Fickle doesn't leave for Ohio State, I could see him being there a long time. That's a good job in my oh, Wisconsin's a great job. A good, it's, not, it's a really good job. Yeah. So, you know, that's that's it's a kind stable of the job. As long as you and do it your fits job, his personality. Yeah. He's kind of a gruff kind of guy. Midwestern, just yeah. Yeah. It, he, yeah. I, I just it. could see him leaving for Ohio State in a few years, but I don't know if that job's going to come open. We'll, we'll you see. Think he'll, you think he'll be one? He'll, you think he'll be the number one candidate if that job opens up? Depends on what he does at Wisconsin. Okay. I mean, if he's winning, you know, if he's winning. 10 plus games a year, Wisconsin, I think he'll definitely be in that conversation. It, it also depends on what Marcus Freeman is doing, I, but I think it'd be a lot. Next question I think it'd be a mind. lot harder for them to get Marcus Freeman away from Ohio state than it would be, or from Notre Dame than it would be to get Luke fickle away from Wisconsin. Oh. I think, I think Luke fickle would jump at the chance. I think to it take takes an offer to get Luke fickle away from Wisconsin, like that, from Ohio state like that Ohio, Ohio state. for Luke fickle for Luke fickle. Ohio State is like that one, the out, the out one that's in his contract. You know what I mean? Like that would be the one. It's like, okay, well, you know, I'm not going to go anywhere. But if Ohio State offers me a job, then I'm I'm going. Like I, you know what I mean? Like I could see him putting that in the contract. I'm not saying that that happened, but like that's the kind of situation that it is for Luke Fickle in Ohio State. And I get that. I mean, I I get it. Um, yeah. What if Ohio State opens up in a year, less than a year, six months from now? Yeah. I mean, that's that's a question. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, anyway, mm-hmm. I don't really want to go down that road, but it's an interesting scenario for sure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rob Osgood, Brian, do you, do, uh, you did an interview with Marcus Freeman not too long ago. Can you see anything he said during that interview that has been incorporated into practices? Thank you again. Well, well keep in mind we've seen one full practice and two five-period sessions, right? So there's a lot we haven't seen. We've seen less minutes, than we've by the way. Seen, right. Yeah. They're usually 17 to 20, 21 period practices. Right. Things that we've seen differently. He clearly you know, he mentioned to me like, yeah, 
last year I'm just trying to figure out where to stand. One thing that we've noticed, Vince and I have talked about this, and Vince, you you pointed you pointed it out to me today when we were at practice because you were king on this. Marcus Freeman is intentional about where he is during every mm-hmm. period this year. Where last year kind of looked a little bit, you guys, you told me this, Vince, last year because I didn't see it for myself. Just kind of wandered around. Not, not, mm-hmm. I don't mean that disrespectfully. Just kind of like he was just sort of like evaluating everything, making yep. sure that everybody, you know, felt that I was there and I was around everyone. I mean, he is intentional each day. I'm yes. around this group. I am around this group. You know, and and I am here during this drill and I am here during that drill. And there's a lot more of that, which is kind of what he alluded to. Yeah, you're seeing certain things from a staff communication standpoint offensively that is that leads to backs up something he told me this summer about Jared Parker is he's the guy in that room that's in charge, but he doesn't view it as like, I'm in charge. Everyone shut up and do what I say there. You can see he, all the coaches are engaged and talking They're dialed in. Yeah. Right. And, and Gino will start coach Gadouli will start talking and coach Park will like, let him make the correction to the quarterback. And then he may add something, right. Things like that. That's something they talked about and we'll see. And then the other part too is, is we are in the one day we did see, we saw the young, the number twos and threes get a lot of reps. And that's something he said, we've got to be intentional about making sure we're getting these guys reps. We haven't seen yet him putting young guys with the ones yet, but that's because the last ones one day of practice. I mean, yeah, exactly. They may have done it the days two and three. We have no idea. Right. And that's the, that's the thing, but uh, yeah, there, there's there's nothing I'm like, well, that's not what he said. Well, he said that, but that's not true. Right. I haven't seen anything like that yet. It's pretty much been, yeah, he, he looks more looks more comfortable, looks more yes. looks more you know what somebody that's, said this to me word. the other day, and and I can't I don't remember if it was you or who said it to me. It but it might have even been someone in the chat, but he just looks so much more comfortable in his own skin, so to speak. That was my exact phrase. Was that you that said yeah. that to me the other day? Yeah. So I knew somebody said that to me, Vince, and, it, and you're 100 percent right. Like he's like, okay, I'm the head coach now. You know what it is? Last year, I felt like he had to prove that he was the head coach. Right. This right. year, he's just, well, I am the head coach. Yeah. Right? He car- he just carries himself differently. He carries himself differently when he's talking to the team, like at the beginning of practice and the end of practice. He carries himself differently when he's going from group to group or whatever. Like he just, it's just a different ambiance around him, and you can just tell it just like anybody's job, right? Like I was super uncomfortable at my new job last year in the first semester because I'm learning all these new things and things are coming at me a mile, you know, hundred miles an hour. By the time I got to May and June, it was like, I, I got this. Like I carried myself differently. You know, it's the same thing for Marcus Freeman. Never been a head coach before, especially at Notre Dame. Things are coming at him from all angles, you know, and he changed from beginning of the season to the end of the season and he's changed from the end of the season until now and he's probably going to continue to change a little bit but he's just so much more comfortable in his own skin this year than we've seen him as a head coach no doubt about it he he and I think you and I talked about this Brian he looks and acts like he did when he was the defensive coordinator yeah he's just comfortable like he knew what it was he knew what it was to be the defensive coordinator now he kind of knows what it is to be the head coach and it shows. It shows. Ooh, we got a super chat from Jim. Thank you very much, Jim. Here, Vince. What's that? So we have a few of them coming. Oh, okay. Awesome. What's the biggest difference you see in Rudolph versus Harry? He stand in practice, drills, emphasis, etc. Have a great weekend. Volume and specific word, colorful words that one coach used and the other one didn't. And I, I don't even say that negatively. I just it's an right. observation. Right. It's right. I, I'm not someone who ever had a problem with Coach Eastan's coaching style. It's not it's not what I would do, but it's who he was and it worked. I don't care. Sure. You know, and his kids didn't have a problem with it. That that right. you know it, it but what you and I talked about this was it day one, mm-hmm. day two, after day two, the old line drills it's c- c- copycat of what Harry Eastan was doing. Right. Like it's this, now I'm not saying he's what did Coach Eastan do? Yeah, like, he's not doing that on purpose. Yeah, because exactly. there's been some wrinkles, like you know, they're using the shoots a little differently, and I don't remember Coach Eastan doing that a whole I don't lot. Think, I don't ever remember him using the shoots yeah. at all. But, but it's I mean, just one of those things where, but the emphases, the the drive block down a certain point, all those things are are similar. Right now, does that mean he's going to get his own line to play the same way Coach Eastan did? I don't know. I hope so. But the emphasis, the things that they're teaching, the 
that went because Vince, and you know what, Vince, I'm going to turn this over to you. Oh, because you actually spent a lot of time down there right by the lineman. So you can actually some of the hear the things he was saying and you've been around sure. Coach Eastan. So I'm oh, actually yeah. let you finish. So I'll just say this from drills and emphasis. It appears to me from what we've seen that it's very, very, very similar. Very and similar. Vince, let you kind of finish it because you, you did spend, you weren't supposed to, but I'm glad <laughs> you did. Spend some time. <laughs> you don't got to tell people that. No. Um, <laughs> you told I know I'm, I'm kidding, but no, I, so similarities, differences, things like that. He's still a pretty intense guy. Like he, he has a volume to his voice. No doubt about it. I could understand and hear, and I took videos so Brian could see and hear, uh, no, no miss syllables, man. Like you can hear everything that he has to say. He is, he's in their face, but not like a, a demeaning in their face by any stretch of the imagination. And I'm not saying that Harry, he was, um, but he's not he's not as intense, but he's loud, but he hits the same teaching points, which is the most important thing. So like when I talk to my kid about how he takes coaching from from coaches and things like that, I tell him all the time, don't listen to the volume of the voice, listen to what is being taught to you and and take that for what it's worth. Like listen to what is being put across, not necessarily the manner in which it's coming across. And that's how I would describe it. It's it was still loud and in your face. But it was the same teaching points that Harry Heastan would give. And that was like, okay, we're, this is good. Like the combo block uh, drills that they were doing, number one, they were quick, man. Like they were in and out of these drills quick and fast, which was great. But he, there was a teaching moment after every single one. After every single drill, as soon as they were done with their rep, he was teaching one or two of the guys that were involved while the other guys were getting in their stance ready to go, then he was able to watch those guys give a teaching point, move on. Like it was so fast, but it was so they got a lot accomplished in a very short period of time. It was a short, it was effective and fast, which was great. So I think these guys are going to take to his coaching just fine, especially coming off of Harry Heastan. I can tell you right now from experience as a player. If a coach is swearing at you or whatever, you you don't even hear that. I mean, at least I never did. Like, I don't even hear the, the swears. Like, I hear what needs to right. come at me. The same information is coming at them, which I think is important. Right. Uh, Michael Cross said, what's the latest on Deion Colsey transfer? This is exactly what we talked about yesterday. We got to see five periods of an of an 18-plus period practice. Sure. And apparently people were saying Deion Colsey wasn't out there. Well, I know he wasn't out there for the periods we saw, but remember last year when Cam Hart wasn't out there and, oh, he wasn't a practice. I'm like, well, yeah, he was, but he's in getting extra treatment during right. the, the individual period because he's not full strength. He's dealing with the quad injury. Yeah, there's, a, there's a dozen reasons he could have been either not there yesterday or out. He was there today. This is exactly why it's Fully irresponsible active. for people to say those kind of things. Yeah. You know, he, what's going on with Jalen Steed? I don't know. I just know he was there today. Yeah. I don't know if he was out the entire practice yesterday. I have no clue. He could have been getting extra treatment because he, you know, had a pulled hammy or something like that, and you're getting extra work on it. We don't know. But to but to take the leap from he wasn't at a practice to this, right? Uh, come on, I, man. Look, I realize we're in the world of like guys wanting to transfer and all those different things, but that he was there today. He was there, right? The like, whole time we were there. His birthday. Happy twentieth birthday, Dion. By Is the it way. really? Yes, it is. I saw his mama tweet that earlier today. So happy birthday, Dion. And he looked good today in five periods we saw. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, he still looks great, man. Yeah, this, he's, this. Look, he, he's going to contribute this year, folks. It's just, I, is he going to be a solid depth player or is he, like he was last year? Or is he going to be a dude? That's the answer we that don't remains know. Remains to be seen. Yeah. And that's I, the answer we don't know. That's what I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. Yep. All right, let's see here from Tyler Evans. We have another Ooh, super chat super here. Chat. Can you guys give me your top five hardest head coaching jobs in college football? Top five hardest. Well, there's a lot of different ways you could look at that. I mean, you Correct. could say hardest is just the hardest to win. I mean, it UMass is one of the five hardest jobs in college. <laughs> Vanderbilt. Football. I mean, that's um, not, no, that's not no? as hard. No, not I mean, if we we're gonna like just for how hard it is to win. I mean, Rutgers is a harder job than Vanderbilt because at least okay. at Vanderbilt, you can find those really high academic kids like Notre Dame does and, and get some some players. I mean, that's a tougher job than than, Vander, than Vanderbilt is to me. Uh, you know, I mean, you could 
find jobs like that. I, I would say like Akron is a terrible job. <laughs> like, so those are more badges, but those are also hard. I'll say, so let's, let's try to look at it this way to answer. Yeah, what's the question. criteria? What's the criteria? Of the power five teams. What are the, <clears throat> what are the programs where it's, it's teams that have a shot to really be competitive. What are the five hardest to maximize your potential as a program? What are the five hardest programs to maximize what you can do as a program? Uh, I so would say that not taking into account like the outside stuff, like having to go to speak to alumni groups and like all that's of the part extra of it. Stuff. I mean, that's part okay. of it. That's part, that's of, part this, of the challenge okay. of a head coaching okay. job, I think. Okay. No, you know, I, like, I, hey, I absolutely agree. I just, yeah. I didn't know if we were just referring to what's on the field or just like the entire job itself. So, yeah. okay, good. All right. I just want to make sure we I got the cri- the right criteria in mind. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, Notre Dame all the things that there. go into making a job difficult where I just can't coach football all the time. Right. All of it. Location, uh, academic standards, it's a bad part of the country that people don't want to go to or I mean sure. anything that makes that that can be considered a challenge to you reaching your full potential as a program. Okay. I would say Notre Dame is in that conversation. Yes, I would agree for me for sure. No doubt. I would say that Syracuse is a really hard job because the talent in the region is not what it used to be. Okay. It's northern New York, so it's cold. It's not really a great town. It's a basketball school. It's hard to win in football at at Syracuse. I would put that in my top five, Vince, of hardest jobs in college football. Wow. I think Texas is a very hard job. I, a lot of people don't think online. that it is, no, but it's it's a hard job online. for the same reason Notre Dame's hard. Correct. But it's also got a little – it's got mixed in there some of the insanity that, like, makes Florida a tough job. Now, Florida's right. not my top five, but it – like, there's this unrealistic expectation of who you are as an institution in a program. And when a coach doesn't live up to that, you, you know, he, they get run out so easily. And, and right. even when they don't get fired right away, like, Tom Herman didn't get fired right away when things started going bad. It was just more of a – they made it such a toxic situation that it was going to be almost impossible for him to reach that potential as a program. It's, it's a really challenging situation. Texas doesn't have the history that people think that they do. They're a blue blood, but like they're, they're not Bama. They're not Notre Dame. They're not even Ohio state, in my opinion, in a lot of ways. So I think that's a really hard job as well. And, and everybody in the country wants your players from your state. It's not in it. It's gotten it's gotten harder recently, as more and more kids are leaving to willing to leave their part of the country. Outside of Florida in the southeast, there's more and more kids from California, Texas, all those that are more willing to leave and go somewhere else, and uh, that's made the Texas job harder. I'm trying to think of others, Vince, that that are that are challenging jobs. Uh. You know, I mean, you could look at, I mean, what I. About, what about like a Cal? Uh, that's a good one. That's a real good one. I don't want to really get into the reasons why. Because some of them are very political reasons that are just the the, the culture of, of the institution you're at. It, it can sure. be toxic. Yeah. And Berkeley's not exactly, you know, L.A. You know what I'm saying? Sure. That's a good one, Vince. That's a really good one. I'm trying to think. There's there's some tough jobs in the Pac-12 right now. There's some really tough well, jobs. In the and Pac-12 there's right yeah, now. there's a lot of reasons for that though too. I think you we're going to discuss Stanford some of them in tonight's show. Yeah. By the way, we're gonna. I think you could put Stanford in there now. Yeah, because the school doesn't support. Because they don't care. Yeah, Vanderbilt's exactly. willing to spend money to support the football team. Right. Right. It's a tough. Vanderbilt's a tough job. Don't get don't get me wrong. You could argue that Stanford or Vanderbilt's tougher. You could put Vanderbilt in the top five with this criteria, mm-hmm. right? Because it because of the league they're in, it's so much harder for Vanderbilt right. to climb up the SEC yes. than it is for Stanford to climb up the Pac-12. Absolutely, Absolutely. And, and so in that case, I think you could you throw that criteria in there. Then I would probably put Vanderbilt in over Stanford. Right, and that's why I thought Vanderbilt in the first place was yeah. just because of yeah. there's just no breaks on their schedule. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, and, and you're yeah. right in this regard, Vince. I was simply earlier talking about like what's the hardest places to win. If you're going to talk about hard in that regard, I mean. Yeah, Vanderbilt's not easy, but it's a lot harder to win at UMass and sure. you know places like that than it is at you know who'd you, where would you rather be Wyoming or Vanderbilt? Fair enough. You know, I mean, so 
But when you look at it the way that we just mentioned, I think that's a better way of of taking Tyler's question because he he didn't necessarily say which direction he'd want us to go with that. I think right. that it is it would be very hard for Vanderbilt to develop into a consistent ten plus win team despite having some advantages working for them. Sure, there's just two. There's some really hard ones that keep. I think they've got a great advantage being in Nashville, but that's another conversation. That's what I'm saying. Like that's 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 a plus for them. Do you think Vanderbilt would be a better fit in the ACC? Yes, hundred percent. I do too. Like, if you could trade, if 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 the ACC and SEC could make a trade, and Vanderbilt, I mean, you could look at like a. I mean, you're talking quality of the football programs take that out of the equation we're just talking about school fit okay you take florida state or clemson out of the acc and trade them to the sec for vanderbilt if we're just talking about schools right like the the type of school a lot of the schools in the acc are private the the the, the, a lot of the public schools in the acc are really good academic institutions like the university of virginia it's a really good academic institution even though it's a public school sure but you know, Miami's a private school, Duke's a private school, North Carolina's a public school, NC State's a public school, but they're different, you know, they're they're basketball schools. Vanderbilt is a is a baseball basketball school more so than a football school. So there's a lot of things like that you could look at, Vincent, and say just a, and for I mean, honestly, Vanderbilt also fits in the Big Ten a lot better than it does the ACC. I think that even might be a, a you know, say, hey, look, we'll trade. We'll trade Vanderbilt for Rutgers. <laughs> you know, if we if we don't care, I mean, I, give me the Nashville market. I'll trade that for you know the the yeah. the Jersey New York market for football. I think Vanderbilt would fit in with the Big Ten too. Now they're a private school, I believe. Vanderbilt, I believe, is, I believe that is accurate. And most of the schools in the Big Ten are public schools, but there's a lot of research involved, and and I believe there's a lot of research at Vanderbilt. So, yes, I think the ACC would be the better fit, although. Geographically, it doesn't make sense because they're not on the coast, but neither's neither's, neither's Pennsylvania, <laughs> you know, which is right. where Pitt is. And I mean, Pitt's a, a a pretty big jump away from a coast. Sure. Right. Unless you're talking about the coast of Lake Erie or the Ohio <laughs> River or something like that. <laughs> right. So uh, I don't think that's what they mean. It's Atlantic coast. Yeah, correct. So will, will our bodies of water eventually dump out into the Atlantic? Does yeah, that they'll get there. No. They'll get there. Just give it some time. Yeah, they'll get no. there. Yeah, so good good question, Tyler. <laughs> yeah, it was, question. Was. And I think it's debatable. There's a lot of programs you could throw in that conversation. And oh, say, for hey, that's sure. a tough place to win. Yeah, it's for a tough sure. place to win. Wade Garrett, thanks very much for the super chat, Wade. If you could pick one team for Notre Dame to beat in the championship game, who would you want us to beat? Example, beat a dynasty like Bama, a, a current program like Georgia, or a rival like Michigan or USC. Vince, I want you to answer this one first. Wade, thank you for the question. Mm. I want you to answer this one first. I got to go check on something, but I'm very oh. curious to hear your answer. Okay. And do it this way. What is the path to a championship? So okay. semis and oh. championship. I okay. think that's well, more that's, fun. Okay. I think that's more fun. Yeah, so this this is a very interesting question for sure. Because, look, if I'm, if I'm putting together my ideal scenario – for Notre Dame to win a championship with just the best feeling ever. Like, first of all, let me just be very clear. I, if Notre Dame wins a national championship, I don't care who they beat. I really don't. And and there, you, you'd have your pundits and, and say, like, if they ended up beating TCU or something, somebody like that in the championship game, and people, oh, well, that, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't care. I, I want Notre Dame to win a national championship. It's just like, for the Cubs, I don't care who they beat in the World Series. I want them to win a World Series, right? So I just want Notre Dame to win a national championship. But if I could script it out, if I could make it so it would be anybody that I would want it to be and just enjoy those sweet, sweet victories over them, it's pretty easy for me, uh, if I'm being honest. It would be LSU in the Final Four. I would want to face them and beat them in the in the semis. And then in the finals, I would want to beat Michigan. Like those would be my two favorite. Now, the downside of that is that now Michigan fans are saying that they got to the national championship game and all of those things. Okay, that's fine. I, I get that. But I, number one, do not want Brian Kelly to get to a national championship game. I, I, I want him to lose again. That would be fantastic. 
And then I would want to beat Michigan uh, in the championship. There's no doubt about it. That that would be that would be the the petty trip to the national championship game for Vince D'Addario would be to beat Brian Kelly and LSU in the final four, and then to beat Michigan in the national championship. That would be glorious. But again, as long as Notre Dame wins a national championship, I could care less who they beat, how it gets done. It doesn't matter to me. But if we're going to be all aboard the petty train, then I want Brian Kelly's hide and I want Jim Harbaugh's hide on the, the, the path to get there. No doubt. I can't Let's disagree see. with you too hard. Sorry, sorry about that, Vince. Um, no, you're good. So I heard Reed upstairs barking. Oh. And Angela's home. But she wasn't barking like she was barking at someone in the yard. She was like had that crying bark. Mm-hmm. Like something was wrong and, and Angela's not doing anything about it. So I'm thinking something wrong. So my wife up there like laying passed out and Reed's going crazy. But <laughs> we have a kid coming over to work on our backyard. Oh, and she's outside, and Rita's going nuts. She wants to be so, out there. Yeah, right. Of course. I was like seriously. <laughs> so I had to go check on that just just in case. No, just you're good. Case. You're good. Uh, my premise was that I don't care who they beat yeah. at first. Like, but if I'm if it's petty, like that's the path I would want to take. And I agree with that. I would say give me <clears throat> one of those two, and then Bama or Georgia. Okay. I just kind of feel like to truly. First of all, winning a championship, I don't care who you beat. Exactly. This season, I don't care who you beat because for Notre Dame to get in the playoff, they'll have to most likely have beaten Ohio State and Clemson, or at least Ohio State right. and USC. Yeah. You got to win two of the three against Absolutely. Ohio State, Clemson, and, and USC. And to me, to be a playoff team, you got to beat Ohio State. It, it It's going to be tough for me to, to justify it, depending on – I mean, obviously there's all types of things that can happen, but – you know, when I look at it, I, I just I feel like to win a title, you have to beat one of those two. And if I were to get super petty, <laughs> but also still feel the same way that I do, I, I would say, you know, beat LSU in the semifinal and then, you know, beat Georgia or Bam in the championship, knock out two SEC teams. Sure. But the other way to do it is to beat Georgia or Alabama in the semifinal, have Brian Kelly get beat by Jim Harbaugh. Ooh. And and then beat Jim Harbaugh in the championship. You know that yeah. would be, either way. That would combine I don't want Brian Kelly making it to the championship yeah, game. That I would combine the two of you got to beat one of the big boys. But in sure. reality, if you beat Ohio State, Clemson, and USC, it doesn't matter who you beat in the next two rounds. Right, you'll have beat some great teams. But I just feel nationally, from a perception standpoint, it would help. Sure, to beat oh, yeah. one of those two teams. In yep. my opinion, just, I absolutely get that. Absolutely, but like as long said, as they're that's... hoisting the trophy, Vince, I do not care. Because like, exactly. did Notre Dame beat a great team? Like. One of Notre Dame's least impressive bowl victories of the Lou Holtz era was the one over West Virginia that won in the sure. championship. But it won in the championship because they had, already, they had already beaten probably the two best teams in the country that year, two of the three best teams in Michigan and Miami. Right. So it didn't matter that, that I mean, West Virginia was just the, the, the coronation. They had to take, they had to take care of business. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you had to do what you had to do, but that was a coronation. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, you, you'd already beaten the, the big dogs. Just the win the next up. year was an even bigger win than the one over West Virginia, but it was what you did in the regular season. So there's a little bit of that for Notre Dame this year because they play Ohio State. Now, next sure. year, Vince, were your two best games like what? Like Miami, next year's Florida rough. State, AM. Yeah. You're going to need to beat one of the big boys in the playoffs with the respect if that's your first title. Right. I would say that. But a title's still great. It just, oh, what's the one that just shuts everyone up? It's exactly. you got to beat one of the big boys. Right. And I want to be very clear. I don't care how they get to a title. So if they win a title, I'm going to be over the moon ecstatic, but I wouldn't mind, you know, putting my stamp on it on the way there. You know, that would make it a little bit sweeter if it's possible. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I'm yeah. with you on that. Irish blooded rank them best to worst Mexican food, Italian food, barbecue food. Best to worst Italian number one, barbecue two, Mexican number three. Be it uh, m- mine is Italian number one, Mexican two, barbecue three. Okay, it's not it's a big barbecue to, fan. It de- it has to be done right. It depends on what kind That's of fair. barbecue. So, like, if I'm in North Carolina, barbecue is third on my list. If I'm in Texas or Kansas City or Memphis or something like that, barbecue's second, borderline number one. It just depends on where you're getting it from. Like, it's fair. The real vinegar based stuff. Like, I spent a year 
college North Carolina. And I did not like the pulled pork and the beef barbecue, the barbecue and stuff down there. Cause it's, it's a vinegar based barbecue. And I don't, I just don't like it. I'm more of the smoked and the sweet and the tangy and that kind of barbecue more for me. So that would, that would be it for me. But barbecue question. food can also be like fried chicken. I mean, you know I mean? Like, I mean like chicken and stuff. I mean, it's just, sure. Yeah. It's pretty good. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's get to some more. It's a good question here. Let's get another. We got one from. Uh, I like these. I like the ones that go off the map a little bit. Yeah. Those are kind of fun. Yeah, we got like to have some of those on a Friday. It's fun absolutely now. Italian food, man. It's hard to beat Italian food. I like you. You throw me some pasta with Alfredo. Throw a little chicken in there. You know, maybe some mushroom. Like I'm all day long, and that's probably why I look the way that I do. But I don't care. I don't care. Life's too short. All right, probably even shorter for me because I eat a lot of Alfredo. All right, Domer Grizz, here we go. Happy fall camp. Which past O-lineman did you think would be a dude but then never emerged? I love the reports on Tosh and Rocco and hope that means that they won't be the future answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That I, that I, which, which O-lineman did you think would be a dude but never emerged? You know – thinking of some offensive linemen that had high rankings coming out of high school that never emerged. I'm trying to think. I liked, I actually liked Jimmy Byrne coming out of high school. I did. I thought he was okay. a pretty good player. I'm trying to think of a guy that never really emerged. I mean, Tristan Hodge didn't emerge in Notre Dame, but he was a multi-year starter at BYU. Although I wasn't quite as high on him as some of the rankings, but he was a good player. Thought would be a dude, but I didn't think he'd be a dude. That's the thing I'm trying to get at. Who would be? Oh, sure. uh, I got one. Oh, there was one. There was a lineman under Charlie. I'm trying to remember. It was really Matt Romine from Oklahoma. I thought Matt Romine was going to be a dude coming out of high school. And this was, he was back in the 06 class, I believe. Uh, I could be wrong on that. Let me, let me just, let me look that one up real quick. I thought Matt Romine was going to be a, dude coming out of high school 07 class i really liked him coming out and he never really emerged at notre dame i i don't know that he ever started a game maybe one but he was a primary backup i i thought he was going to be a really 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 good player army all-american all yeah he never started played in only 15 games in three years never never started and um he transfer yeah, I out. He was going to be a dude. I I'm trying to I'm trying to find that out because it okay. the Notre Dame three years. That's the only reason. Yeah, because the the thing that I'm looking at now is Notre Dame only had the his bio. At Notre Dame only had him listed for three years. So I don't know if he transferred or what. I'm trying okay. to go to their 2010 roster and see if he was on their 2010 roster. I don't. I'm not. I'm getting. I think I think I remember him transferring Vince, but I'm not 100 percent sure on that. No, he was on. He was a senior at. Okay. Notre Dame in, in uh, 2010. He was on the roster. So, but yeah, he, I thought he was going to be really good. I really thought he would. Yeah, he transferred as a as a fifth-year senior to Tulsa. Okay. So he did start three times as in 2010 because of injuries. Okay. So he, so in four years, he started three games at Notre Dame. But I, I liked him coming out from Oklahoma. He was and good. he went back to Tulsa for that, which is sense. where he's from. Yeah, yeah I was say, that makes from. perfect sense. That, yep. that, and that's how transfers used to work, by the way. Like yeah, they, you went back all, home. Yeah, that's how it usually work. If a guy didn't get the playing time that he always wanted, he would graduate, and then he would take like a grad year at a place that was close to home. Like that, that, that happened more often than not. Actually, it just 
always flew under the radar because it was usually a smaller school than, you know, and, and that kind of a thing. Oh, how things have changed. It really has. It really has. <laughs> Joe Medina with the super chat. Thanks, Joe. Really appreciate it. If Notre Dame beats Clemson, USC, Ohio State, Georgia, and Bama, all would be top five teams when Notre Dame plays them, plus wins the title. Would it be the greatest team in Notre Dame history? Well, first of all, if they beat Georgia and Bama, then they would have won the title because I don't see any other way they would play both of them and win. Well, I think he's just adding the resume together. I think it's more of what he's doing, not necessarily saying that's a fifth independent thing, just more of that includes that. I mean, I I get what he's saying. It's just... If they had to it's play just, all, if they played all five of those, it's stating the one, obvious. But right? still, it's still to me, it's still uh, stating the obvious. But it's it's part just part of the resume. So that's four four wins over teams that would be in the top five. And my answer to that would be no. That doesn't make them the best team ever. I've pointed this out before. In in 1988, Notre Dame beat number nine Michigan, number one Miami, number two USC, and number three West Virginia. Uh, at the time they played. So three, the, three of those teams were top three. And then Michigan, they were ninth when Notre Dame beat them, but Michigan finished fourth. So at the end of the year, Notre Dame beat number – this is end of the season rankings. Number five, West Virginia. Notre Dame beat them 34-21. to 21. They beat number two, Miami, at home. We remember that game, right? 31-30. to 30. They beat number four, Michigan, 19-17 to 17 in the opener. And then they beat number seven USC twenty-seven to ten at USC, which would pretty much match what you're referring to. Uh, in this scenario, Georgia would be Miami, Bama would be I don't know Notre Michigan maybe Ohio State would be you know what USC was, and then USC would be what West Virginia is a, a, a good team, but a team dominated more by a great quarterback. Right. which is what Major Harris was for West Virginia back then. So it'd be similar, but but the funny thing is the 89 team had even more huge wins. Uh, you could, you'd have to go back to some of the teams in the 40s where, yeah, they may not have beat as many, I don't know, like if, if Frank Leahy's teams beat a bunch of top five teams, but those teams were just so incredibly dominant, Vince. I mean, you, you just look at some of the scores of some of those games in, in 47 and 49 especially. You know, 1947, I'm looking at it. Notre Dame won 40 to 6, 22 to 7, 31 to nothing, 21 to nothing, 27 to nothing, 27 to 7, 26 to 19, 59 to 6, and 38 to 7. You know, I mean, that's a lot of one score to zero games. There. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> pretty I mean, they defense. beat USC, finished number eight, Army finished 11th. You know, I mean, you know, you, you beat some pretty good teams back then, 1949. Notre Dame beat 49 to 6, 27 7, 35 12, 46 7, 40 to 12, 34 to 21, 42 to 6, 28 to 7, 32 to nothing, and 27 to 20. If you really want to have some fun about dominance, Vince, hmm. I'm, y'all are going to enjoy so y'all, y'all, young bucks, just sit back and enjoy this one. The older folks are sitting there screaming, hey, Why aren't you talking about 66? I'm getting there, okay? In 1966, Notre Dame beat number seven, Purdue whose quarterback, I believe, was Bob Greasy, uh, 26 to 14. They beat Northwestern 35-7, Army 35 to nothing, North Carolina 32 to nothing, at number 10, Oklahoma 38 to nothing, Navy 31 to 7, Pitt 40 to nothing, Duke 64 to nothing, Number two, Michigan State, they tied 10 to 10. Notre Dame was missing, missing their starting quarterback. I think the starting running back got hurt that game. And then a lot of people didn't like the fact that they ended up tying that game. But uh, and Notre Dame went out the next week on the road against number 10 USC and beat them 51 to nothing. That team had six shutouts. They gave up one game that they allowed more than 10 points, and that was against Bob Greasy's Purdue team that finished the year ranked seventh that season and the polls. So it's, it's yes, beating those teams, but you, you just look at the dominance of some of those Notre Dame teams uh, that year. I mean, they, you're, you sink, you win the title basically by, by beating John McKay's number 10 Trojans on the right. road, 51 to nothing. <laughs> you gave up on the season. They gave up 38 points 
for the entire season, 24 of those were by the number two and number seven teams. You know, so it's not just about who you beat, but how dominant were you when you did it? And that's, that's, that would, that would be, it would be hard to top that when you just talk about just, you're going to say greatest teams. But I will say this if they do what you're saying, they would definitely be in the conversation, in my opinion. Yeah. That level of difficulty, because here's the difference. Like that 1966 team didn't play in the postseason. They, didn't, they weren't allowed to play in bowl games yet. This team would have to not only beat Clemson and USC and Ohio State, but then to his point, so that's five teams, right? Then you'd have to go into the postseason and then win against Georgia and Bama. That's, that's a, something those other Notre Dame teams never did. Role. Frank Leahy never played in a bowl game. Yeah. Our Eric Parsegian didn't play in a bowl game till what? 70, 69, 70? I think 69 was their – 70 was their first bowl game, I believe, uh, under ERA. No, you imagine I'm wrong. Notre Dame I'm, getting looking at, the I'm looking at the playoff, wrong team. And knowing that your path goes through Georgia and Bama or Bama, yeah. Georgia, whatever, like, it's like, okay, here we go. 69 was the first time Notre Dame played in a bowl game since the – was it 25 when they played in the Rose Bowl against Stanford? I think it was the only bowl game they played in until 69. So it would add a degree of difficulty that would make them in the conversation. But there, the, the point being, Joe, to make a short story long, there'd have to be a level of dominance to that win, those wins, a lot of those wins, to match up with what some of these other sure. great Notre Dame teams have done. That, that you know, the, the 88 team was pretty dominant, but not to the degree of like the 66 team was or, you know, teams like that. That's kind of what – that's what makes it a little bit um, – you know, can make it a little bit challenging. Sure. So, uh, you know, the, 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 those the other thing too is last part for me, Vince, is it's hard to compare teams from different eras. So, if you're talking about the greatest team ever, how can I compare what Notre Dame would face to what Newt Rockney faced? It's such a different animal, right? Yeah. You know, it it really is. It's it's just such a different animal to compare the teams. I mean. Here's who Newt Rockney's teams played in their first championship. So first of all, the, the the results of those games were forty to nothing, thirty-four to nothing, thirteen to seven at Army, twelve to nothing, thirty-four to three, thirty-eight to three, thirty-four to six, thirteen to six, forty to nineteen, twenty to seven to ten, and that was the one year they played in the Rose Bowl. That's why I brought that one up. But here's the here's who they played: Lombard, Wabash, Army, Princeton, Georgia Tech, Wisconsin, Nebraska, Northwestern, Carnegie Tech, and Stanford. I have no concept of how to compare those teams to modern teams, right? I could like yeah. they beat Carnegie Tech. I don't You're know. Was Carnegie, Carnegie Tech, Tech really good history. back then? I don't have a clue. You know, like uh, didn't Carnegie Car- Carnegie Tech have like one of the like didn't they didn't Georgia Tech beat them? Um, like by I don't know. I in a college football game. I'm trying to look this up. Most Carnegie? points scored in a college football game. It was 200. Oh, it's Cumberland. Georgia Tech scored 222 against Cumberland. But you know, I mean, Carnegie Tech. I I don't I don't know anything about Carnegie Tech. I don't know what kind of football program they have. I you know I have no clue. I think they're actually looking at it now. They're still in existence. The Carnegie it's well, it's Carnegie Mellon. They're a Division three team. Yeah, it's Carnegie Mellon. What they are now. So they're in the playoffs last year. So I mean, (laughs) the point being is, I have no concept of how to compare that to the schedule that Notre Dame would pay in two thousand and twenty three. And that's why I I just don't I don't know that we can ever really truly have the conversations about greatest ever. I think sure. it needs to be more of generations. Like, you, there's never been – I don't care how good the 2019 LSU team was. You can talk to me about they, – they, they, Notre Dame's 1966 team gave up 34 points for an entire season. That's a lot harder to do than scoring 49 like LSU did. In tw- but it's like, but is that really fair to say? Because it was such a different game then than it is now. There's no way a team in today's era could only give up 34 points in an entire season. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm. Unless, you know, I think it actually happened in 2020 a couple times because there's a couple teams that only played like three or four games, maybe. You know, that's the whole thing, Vince, is it, it's just impossible to compare those eras. It really right. is. Exactly. In in 2020, Vince, the, the fewest points given up that year was 50 by a team that played three games. Hmm. Notre Dame did that an entire season and including beating multiple top 10 teams that year. So 
it's just it's impossible to compare errors like that. I mean, think what was Notre Dame's record in 1966? Was it it was 10-0-1? 9-0-1. 9-0-1. So they gave up 3.4 points per game. You know what I mean? Like, how do you compare that to something nowadays? It's just it's impossible. So the, the whole greatest of all time. Yeah, that year Notre Dame outscored their opponents 36.2 to 3.8. pretty good yeah i mean how do you how do you and i don't even think that's accurate hold on a second 14 plus 14 plus 10 oh that's 38 i counted it wrong i counted 34 they gave up 38 points an entire season they gave up 3.8 points out outscored their opponents 36.2 to 33.8 it's ridiculous how can i possibly compare what notre dame is going to do this year to that it's just it's impossible if they if they match those numbers then uh yeah greatest team ever <laughs> if, they only, but, if they give up 3.8 points a game yeah yeah so yeah. to me like so then where like to me so <clears throat> when does it start you know when do you compare generations it would be one of the best champions that notre dame has ever had it just depends on dominance over your competition and that would be kind of what what i would say because like if you look at the 66 team the number two team in the country that year was Michigan State, and they had a great team that year. They finished ranked number two. They went 9-0-1 as well. They outscored teams 29.3 to 9.9. So, again, different numbers, but Notre Dame was basically a third of that. You know, they were three times – gave up three times as many points as Notre Dame. So, yeah, it's hard to have those conversations, man. It really is. Is. But there's it's still fun though. That that's the thing. It is still fun to have sure. those conversations. It's just it's just meant to be fun, not meant to be like you see those people on TV like having these really heated debates about greatest ever. And I'm like, what are we doing here? You know, it's just like you're you guys are really mad about that, and you probably shouldn't, is my opinion. Tyler Evans has a super chat though. I want to win a national championship this year, but I'm gonna get on Vince's petty train. Whoop whoop. I want to beat Michigan in the national championship game in the near future with CJ Carr at quarterback. Man, that would be – I would actually not want to do that, honestly. Because I wouldn't – that's got to be tough for the Carr family. Oh, my gosh, like, yes. It'd be a great story, but that'd be really hard for them. Like, I, I don't know that that When is Michigan back on this game? Is that a planned thing yet? No, it'd have to be in the playoff. Okay. It would have to be in the playoff Okay, uh, for them to play. I, I don't know that I'd want to put CJ in a situation where he's got to, you know – beat his grandpa's team and all that kind of stuff. I just, yeah, I'd rather just Michigan not be good. That's how I feel about I mean, Michigan. That would be fantastic. Like I always say, Vince, I want USC to be good because it's good for Notre Dame if USC is good. I don't care about them. If Michigan's 0-12 every year, I wouldn't care. Nope, wouldn't bad an eye. I'd probably I'd enjoy, enjoy it. it. I'd, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. All right. So I don't want them to be good. That's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. So, yeah. Good one, Tyler. Good one. Let's get back up top here, Vince. Okay. Irish blooded at the ACC and the SEC link up conference wise. Do you think that that is real? The realistic end of Notre Dame being able to compete for championships without conferencing up, seeing all the other conference moves. We keep doing all these random hypothetical things. If the ACC and SEC link up, then we can have that conversation. But no, I, I, there are so many things. In fact, I, there's I've so heard many people teams. bring up like there could be lawsuits to the teams left out of them for monopolizing. I mean, there's so many things that have to happen. If the only way that Notre Dame's going to join here, guys, I'm going to say it again. There's one thing that will force Notre Dame to join a conference outside of they just can't make money anymore. Okay. And that is that the conferences get to the point where you have no path to a championship unless you're in a conference. That is mm-hmm. it. That is it. So even in this scenario, if if all the leagues combine, the Big 12 all goes to the Big 10, the ACC all goes to the SEC, the Pac-12 splits up between the two, there's two mega conferences, as long as they can play 12 games and there's no rule saying you have to be in one of those two conferences to be in a championship and be in the playoff, then Notre Dame's not going to join a league. Exactly. It just they're, they're, At least they're not going to be forced to join a league. That's the it. So if you want to say what's the realistic end of Notre Dame being a contender, it's in, in it, it could be a de facto, no one will schedule them, but they're, that's not going to happen, right? right? If if they make a rule that says you can't be an independent, be in the playoff, that's when Notre Dame will join the league. 
Correct. Uh, most likely. Path to the most national likely. championship is a big box that needs to be checked for Notre Dame to be an independent. And as long as they can check that box, that's one of the things that's going to keep them independent. Another and box then, is financial stability from the TV contract. Yeah. Even then, it would depend on who your leadership is at the school. Because let's not forget, there was a long time the leadership at Notre Dame was perfectly content not letting them play in bowl games, knowing that it might cost them some championships sometimes. So it, it's true. just a lot of factors in it. But but we, we those are just all hypotheticals. I just I don't see it. I just don't see it anytime soon. I really don't. Here's a better one from Irish Blood. I'm kind of busting your chops a little bit Irish Blooded, but here's here's a better one. <laughs> Preferred vacation: the mountains, hiking, and wildlife, or beaches, sand, and sun. Of those options, I would probably go with mountains, hiking, and wildlife for me. I'm not a big beach guy. Oh, I'm beaches, sand, and sun all the yeah. way. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of. I mean, it, part of that, Vince, is you grew up and spent your whole life in Indiana. I spent half Correct. my life in Virginia Beach, right by beaches, and right. you just get a little tired after. And a I while. get that, and, and they're and dirty. The other, and the other the yeah. other thing that goes along with it is the happiness of the person that I would be vacationing with. Sure. And well, you know what? That's a good point because that might be best. part of the reason I that might be part of the reason <laughs> that I picked this one. Yeah. For me, because my wife likes to snowboard and ski and stuff yeah, like that. See, she, that's she, not my Angela would much all. rather go to the mountain, even if it's in the summer. If she can find a mountain range where she can go snowboard, she would much rather do that than yeah, go to the beach. Yep. So, so yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> part of it. But I'm just—I've never been a big beach guy. Like I'm just not a big fan of that. But the the preferred vacation for me would be honestly like getting a big, really cool RV and just spending the whole summer sightseeing. That'd be so much fun. Go to different battlefields and go to some sporting events and things like that that'd be a yeah that'd be a lot of fun that'd be the ideal thing i've said in the past i i used to have a dream of i was <laughs> when i retired i was going to get an rv and literally spend a whole summer going to every major league baseball park but now yeah. i don't really watch major league baseball anymore so i don't really care so what i may do when i retire is just do that where i'm just gonna the whole season when i retire angie and i are going to get a really big old cool rv and we're going to go to a different college football game every week so week zero to week 13 to the all of it Gonna get Just a big plan it out, make yep. it happen. Yep. So that that's a good retirement plan for me. That'd be a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Unless Notre Dame's a title contender, then I might just have to say, oh, I'm sorry, I can't. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna do that during the bye week, but I'm gonna be at all the Notre Dame games. Right. Right. Watch my boys. Irish blooded. If you could pick a quote unquote new annual rivalry with any school in the country, who and why? So I'm assuming Notre Dame, right? So Notre Dame's got to pick mm-hmm. a new annual rival. I mean, we've talked about this a little we bit. I, I would, I would like to go back to playing Michigan State yeah. or Purdue every year. Yeah. Uh, those are ones. That's that's technically restoring it's a rivalry, not, not a new yeah. one. Uh, so if I'm going to stick to the new part, I, I've said this before. Probably Tennessee. I, I don't know why. I just have always kind of liked the idea of playing Tennessee. I they had some really good games when I was a kid. I, there's recruiting advantages to it. I mean, you could make a case for maybe a Texas team. I know people that, said Texas would be a good one. That's what I was going to uh, say. You know, I, to me, I, I, I like it because Tennessee's also sort of a regional rival. Like they're just, it's hard to have two cross sectional rivals, right? Like intersectional rivals, right? You, you've already got one that's in California. Now you're going to have a rival in Texas. Like how real is that rivalry? Like if Notre Dame, put it like this, Vince, if Notre Dame and USC hadn't spent all of our lives being a rival and they tried to start it now, no one would care. Right. It wouldn't Agreed. be the rivalry it is. Agreed. Because it's like you're in California, we're in Indiana. Like no, it doesn't cares. make sense. Like, yeah. yeah. There's got to be some sort of regionalness to it. And that's why, you know, it, the, the Michigan State one, because that's a, that's a regional. It's why Michigan, a lot of people are attracted to the idea of playing Michigan. It's a regional rivalry. Tennessee, to me, is a, would be a regional and ish rivalry that you could kind of establish. You're going to be recruiting for the same kids in a lot of instances. And, you know, I, I, that would be one that I would go with for me. I mean, uh, you know, there's, there's some other rivalries that I would like to see Notre Dame re-engage Miami, Michigan state, maybe Purdue, but new one, it's, it's Tennessee. That would be it. That would be my, that would be my choice. And I'd probably go Tennessee two over Michigan state too, Vince. Cause once USC joins a big 10, you already have a big 10 rival. Yeah, it's true. It's stupid. That they're a it's big time. Dumb. Team. It's really dumb. I, I wonder how long it's going to last. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just have a feeling this whole thing's gonna fall apart. I just I don't know. 
when I, you I look at just the absurdity of all this, yeah, and, it just doesn't seem the, logistically sound well, I, in any way. I also way. think, Vince, I think the financial stability of the institution that's creating all of this craziness, which is ESPN, I, I, if they collapse, this whole thing collapses. True. And that's the only reason you can afford to even do this is because the money you're making off the TV contracts. Sure. If the TV contracts go away and they have to start acting like businesses, like when I mean businesses, again, I mean like, you know, you can only actually spend what you generate. You're not getting these tens of millions of dollars in external money that you just then use to do all these crazy things. If you have to start acting like they did before that became a giant thing, then, hey, we can't afford to fly all over the country for an entire season. Like they used to have great like cross country rivalry game like you know a game ohio state would go out to play ucla but but that's because like all the other nine ten games were like right there so right exactly. to go do something like that you had teams like notre dame and miami that would go all over the country but you didn't see a lot like florida state would like have would, would travel a lot because they were an independent but outside the you know some of the top independents but even like penn state was an independent go look at penn state's schedule back when they were were, were, were winning championships like they were a regional, they were a regional school as far as who they played at the time, but they they could still have a little bit of a, a, a national appeal. But they could kind of, they could kind of cakewalk their schedules a little bit back then. You know what I mean, Vince? And and that allowed them to be effective. Like here's who they beat the year that they won a title. They had one game that was really outside of their really outside of their region. They played Temple, Boston College, East Carolina, Rutgers, Cincinnati, Syracuse. They played Alabama that year, West Virginia, Maryland, Notre Dame, and Pittsburgh. That that was who they played that season, and uh, the win over Bama was good. They finished ninth, but like you had to go out of your region one time. That's what the SEC does now that we all get pissed about, right? Right, and and then they beat Miami in the championship game if you remember that. But like they would they would kind of schedule their way into some really good seasons, in my opinion. Nineteen eighty two, they won a championship that year. They played Nebraska and Alabama, which is good, but the rest of their schedule is very similar: Temple, Maryland, Rutgers. Syracuse, West Virginia, Boston College, NC State, Notre Dame, Pitt. That was their schedule. Right. And so I just I never had the same level of respect for what they did, in my opinion, because their their schedule was like they play like one or two tough games a year, and then the rest was just garbage. Mm-hmm. So um, but it was very regional. So you could afford to go play Bama. Sure. And because that was the it's- only game you're really traveling. You know, I just don't see it being financially stable when you yeah. have the track team and the whatever to, you know, traveling all over the country, basically for conference games like that. Like what happens when USC has to go to Rutgers for a cross country meet? You know what I mean? It, that's a lot of people to be faring across the country for an afternoon. You know, I just, I don't, I just don't see it being financially viable long-term because it's without, not just without football. TV money. It's not viable. That's the whole point. True. The house of cards that is ESPN collapses, and and, and I believe it to be that. But is Big Ten on ESPN? Aren't they Fox? But part of it is. But here's the thing. If if ESPN can no longer compete in the market, then there's no competitor with Fox to, to, you know what I mean? It's like the whole thing kind of crumbles a little bit. You, You get what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Because Fox can't afford to pay all of them that. It would just, it just they would end up having to kind of sign everybody. And I don't think they can afford well, to they pay don't, everybody. They, well, they don't even have the, they can't even right. broadcast everybody. That's just not, they even don't have the, and they possible. don't have the entire big 10 They're with CBS. And right. You know, so, so ESPN kind of drives the price way up. Gotcha. If these, if these TV, if these cable, ne- like, or not cable networks, but if these like CBS, Fox, NBC, if they didn't have ESPN competing against them, the cost to get the Big Ten, the SEC, Notre Dame would be much lower. Sure, that's my point. Gotcha. And all of a sudden, the revenue is not where it, where it needs to be. That's just my opinion. I could be wrong on that. Others might have a better feel on that, but that's just kind of how I've always felt. If ESPN goes, it changes the game a lot. And I think you have to kind of go back. And that's maybe that's wishful thinking more than anything. <laughs> um, but I'd love to see that part of it get restored. Just getting back to regional rivalries and get back to smaller conferences, you know, eight to 10 team conferences, and which means you have to play more non-conference games. And that's why I say if, if there was some sort of thing where like you had to create some sort of college football wide rev share where, you know, 
it might even have to be a congressional thing or have to go to court to win this battle. But if the NCAA was able to somehow get Congress to act and say, hey, look, from a TV revenue standpoint, we need to have all the NCAA institutions under one contract. You're signing with the NCAA because right now you sign with the conferences. Right. And if, if there was some sort of, okay, we're going to take the power fives out and they're going to be their own thing. And we're going to sign one big TV deal with all the different networks. They're all going to host our games. And we're going to take that money and split it between all 65, 66. If you add some, let's say 70 power five teams, well, then the power five is no longer a thing. Now we can go back to more regional divisions, right? And so now the Southwest conference comes back. The big eight comes back. The SEC comes back to its original form. The ACC, there might even be some say, if this is being split, I want to be an independent again. You know, we, we don't want to be stuck in this league. We want to be here. Uh, I think you'd see a lot of things like that come back. We're at, why do we, we don't have to go. Cause the only reason the U, USC and UCLA are joining the big 10 Vince is money. They don't, sure. it's not oh. that they, Hey, we'd love to yes. just be able to fly all the way across three time zones in order to play football and hockey and field hockey and, and track right. and baseball and softball. We'd love to do that. No, it's because we want to, we want that extra 30, 40, 50 million dollars a year in, in TV revenue. No doubt. And it's worth it for us. So if all of a sudden that TV revenue thing went away because whatever the contracts they sign, all the combined, hey, CBS, you get this many games, and NBC, you get this many games, and we're going to take all the TV revenue, and you're going to split it up evenly between the 70 Power Fives, then all this stuff goes away. Mm-hmm. If you could take TV right negotiation away from the conferences and put it more on a, 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 an, in, an entity that controls all of that, you know, then then it would be a lot better, I think, for the sport. And you could go back to some of the regional rivalries. The fact that we're even having a conversation about whether or not Michigan and Ohio State should stop playing at the end of the year is just speaks to the absurdity of this whole thing. Ridiculous. And both head coaches don't care about it. Because, again, it's just that game doesn't have this. Yeah, it just – it's frustrating. 